Welcome to the Personality Portrait Podcast, where we challenge what we think we know about how our personality works and is shaped. I am psychologist Franco Greco. In each episode, I have a conversation with a guest exploring what has shaped their lives and personality. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. In today's episode, it's great to chat with Miff Warhurst. Miff is an Australian radio announcer and TV personality living in Melbourne. She is best known for her work on Triple J and on the ABC television's long-running music theme quiz show, Spicks and Specs. Before her career as a radio announcer and TV personality, she was editor-in-chief of Melbourne's street press, Impress. This podcast was recorded during the second COVID Melbourne lockdown in late 2020. When I think about personality, I, I think about, oh, that's a tough question. I think about what a person exudes, what they show, choose to show you or not even choose to show you, what, who they are, when they show you who they are. That, to me, is their personality. I don't know how else to explain it. Not necessarily what they're into or what they like or dislike. It's, it's just it's what like, they give off. Yeah, it's like, it's like the default. Is it a default? It's, like, it's not this... Because I sometimes like to think of it, is this way the way you think about it? Is it more about it's the person, the way they are? Yeah, the yeah. way they are in their most natural state when they're not performing, when their guard is down. I think what they exude then is is their personality, I think. I could be wrong. I'm not sure if that would be a correct answer or not. But well, I, I, like, I don't know. There's no real right, right. It's a very disputed area, quite frankly. But, yeah. So what then would do you consider then to be... If you think of it in that way, what do you think then about your personality? Oh, goodness me. What do I think about? I try not to think about it too much, actually. I get a bit bored <laughs> thinking about myself, to be honest. <laughs> Aren't you the most interesting person? Your own, your own self, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I, I think I can't hide my personality, That's which has been a bit of a problem because I feel very raw in a public world because of it. Mm. I don't have a show to fall back on or a character or I'm not an actor. I'm just me. So that can sometimes make me feel quite raw out there in the the public forum. It would be nice if I could hide behind an actor or a level of professionalism, but I can't. (laughs) Like the, the me who is me always ends up coming through somehow. So... I have to protect that person sometimes because I think that's probably half the reason why people get me to do stuff because I am who I am. You know, I'm pretty honest, but sometimes it can feel a bit scary putting it out there because yeah, I don't have I don't have a comedy routine to hide behind or or a play or a character to act. So yeah, I feel like I'm pretty unguarded a lot of the time, and that can be a bit terrifying. But what have you got to lose? You know, the older I get, the more I realise there's not much to to really. So it's a sense of risk, the sense of what's the worst can happen, really. Yeah, well, you know, I've pretty much done all the bad things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm good with that. I do remember it. Like, I love Spicks and Specs, and I remember one episode. Was it, actually, it might have been a Spicks and Specs episode. It might have been something you did in that panel that looked at the best albums of all time or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Jeff Buckley album got the, the number one, and you loved that album. Mm. I remember just with distinctly how you were so pleased it was, but it was actually that it meant something to you. Yeah. Why did it mean so much to you? I always wondered why that, that album or that particular couple of songs in the album or, he, or Jeff yeah. Buckley himself. Well, I don't know. I think I've probably 
always been drawn to, to people that give of themselves. And to me at that time, which was in the 90s and I was very young and I was finding myself and trying to work out who I was, I felt like he was showing a, a level of honesty that maybe I wasn't capable of or wasn't capable of even articulating at that point. And so I could, I could begin to understand how a human being does that through his work and he's obviously or was obviously a very sensitive human being who had really connected with that side of himself and there was a level of admiration for that because I you know I was still rushing around trying to find out who the hell I was and what I was going to do with my life and what I meant to other people or what I meant to myself and you know I still don't feel like I'm at that point probably to to perform with that level of honesty or to be that open Every time we performed, it was, it was for him, but it was for it was for us as well. That's what it felt like when I saw him live. Mm. And I must admit, I, it's not like I ever listened to that record now, and I, I don't like. It almost feels too much. It taps into back into those feelings of that young naive person that I was, and I don't need to go back there. Oh, it's not a nostalgia thing. It's yeah, he just he offered a world that I wasn't able to access emotionally, mentally, all of those things, I think. That sense of vulnerability is quite interesting because mm. do you find do you find that, that, you know, when you think about that age you were at, were you a bit more frightened or a bit more risk-averse in terms of just expressing what you really felt or thought, you know? Absolutely. I think I didn't know who I was. I don't think really, you know, I'd moved from the country and come straight to, to Melbourne to go to uni and I, I was 17 and... And then I think Jeff Buckley's record came out a couple of years later and I was trying to find out what I even wanted to do with my life. I was probably waitressing at the time and at uni, maybe working, I'm not sure, getting into music. And I just didn't know who I was. And that's great. Like I think it's important not to know who you are at that stage because <laughs> you find yourself eventually or, or do you? I don't know. I'm, I'm yet to know if I, I really have found or know myself even at this age. So everything is very raw and you're very passionate and you're very into things and I think that's important too. So there's a part there, isn't it? Like you, so you, you, you started with this sort of concept about, you know, like you started with, you know, not so much this narrative about who am I. Was that a strong part of most of your, you know, if you think about 17 and younger, like was, that, was there a sense of myth, I don't know, like where I'm going, where I'm going to end up? Did you have a sense about, this industry I might get into or no idea no idea and I still don't know what I'm going to do and I think that's the nature of the entertainment business and the media business that I find myself in you just don't know what's next and in a way that's probably been quite a bit damaging for me in a way but it certainly prepared me for things like when COVID hits you know that you can't you're not sure where your next job's coming from because that's what the the media industry is is like Uh So it prepared me a little bit for that. But I had no idea as a kid. Like I I started doing classical music and I, I enrolled at Melbourne Uni to do music education and I thought I was going to be a music teacher, but I, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I got through first year but not very well because that, I had to get in on a performance space. Right, okay. So I, I feel like I might have got in on the, what's called the country quota. Right, okay. <laughs> so they needed a certain amount of country students because all these kids that I was just surrounded by were amazing, you know, like concert pianists and, you know, jazz improv artists and I, I wasn't quite up to scratch but well, what, I got what, through. What, what, is, what is the big point? Piano. Piano. Yeah, so I got through first year and went, ah, look, this is really not for me. I'm not good enough. And that was probably a really good lesson to learn very early. 
and I crossed over and did an arts degree, which I loved because I got to learn about the world. And I think that's all I wanted to do at that point was just learn about the world. Because, you know, when we grew up, you'd know, you'd know this. We mm. had no internet. So it was much harder to find out yeah. about things, especially things like music and art and all the things that I love. Really, it was quite difficult to, exactly. to grasp onto things. So going to university was like my world just blew up. I was, whoa, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your family saying to you at that time? Mm-hmm. Look, I think they were pretty disappointed that I didn't continue with the music degree because I think they had their, you know, parents want you to tick boxes mm-hmm. so they can feel happy too that they've done the right thing and sent you off on your way. Mm-hmm. But I remember them being very supportive actually, which was surprising. I was surprised at how supportive they were like when I crossed over and just did a, as my father calls it, my bugger all, Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> <laughs> but it really, was the best, it really was the best thing for me yeah. and I think they, they understand that now. But at the time, they, they you know, I think they were a bit upset because they'd want me to do certain things, I, yeah. I would imagine. They'd have their heart set on certain things, but I had to be true yeah. to myself. Was it always this tension between, you tell me if this is not right, but wanting to please them and and wanting to just be, so be attached to them, like, you want mm. to be, like please them, but also be assertive about who you were? Like, was it always, was it, was it always this tension or how would you describe it? There wasn't when I was growing up, but I do think as I left the home, I yes, I absolutely wanted to make my own decisions and I wanted to, to take on the world in the way that felt right for me. Yeah, but I never, I never felt negative towards them. I think they set me up extremely well to be even to be in a position to be able to make those choices. I think it's a luxury. So, but yes, I, I definitely, it wasn't an assertive thing. It was just more... I think I started to know that I, I needed to do what felt right and that probably was the first time I'd, I'd felt that need. Yeah, and yeah. you were 17, 18? 18. 18, yeah, I would have been 18 at that point. Okay. I wouldn't mind just getting into some, some key events in your life. So mm. would you describe that as a turning point? No, no, not at all. I can barely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old now, Franco. Look, it was one of the turning points for sure, but I feel like life's given me many turning points without which I would be, I wouldn't be the person that I am. There's been so many. It's difficult to pinpoint one because each has, has given me great highs or extreme lows and, okay. and then a way to move forward. All right, well, let's start maybe the low, a low point then. Yeah. What's been the, what's been the lowest point, you reckon? Oh, it's been a few of those too, let's be honest. Look, I think any time you feel like, well, I feel like I haven't achieved or the goal, not that I set goals, I don't. I'm not that sort of person because they they never seem to pan out. When I feel like I've failed or failed, failed myself or failed somebody who expected better things, they're always a low point. Like getting sacked, I did commercial radio for a couple of years after I, I finished up at Triple J after 10 years and then I... I I went to commercial radio and that was a, a difficult time, a really difficult time. I worked with wonderful people, but that was quite difficult. I had then the suicide of a co-worker and then we got sacked six months afterwards. And, yeah, that was low. That felt really low because I, I felt like I'd, I tried as hard as I could, but there was nothing you can, when you're in that situation where there's nothing mm-hmm. you can actually do, I don't think to make it better. And I, I'm not sure I reconciled with, with that at the time, I felt like I'd failed. 
and I was a bit ashamed. These days, getting sacks like water off a duck's back. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, you know, the older you get, it's, and this industry is not kind. Yeah, I think you realise they they don't employ you for you. They employ you to fill the space between the ads mostly or to keep listeners on. And, and as soon as you stop providing that service for them, you're out the door and you are the first person out the door. It's not, mm. not everyone that works there, it's you and because you're the public face. So that's been a, a tough lesson to learn because it's happened a couple of times since, but it's all right now. Now I'm like, oh, yeah. still hurts, of mm. course because I give 100% to the jobs that I do and I'm, I'm passionate about them. But, yeah, you learn to get a thicker skin when it comes to that yeah. sort of stuff. I'm curious in this concept, though, this idea about how can you not take it personally? I mean, I understand you, with perspective you did, but and you've learned actually that there's a role you, you sort of play when you're in the, in the media or oh. in a particular industry that it's, it's the position or it's the nothing really personal. It's about what they're wanting or needing, which is sort of, it's outside of what you need, isn't mm. it? And I think when quite often you don't realise you are treading water until you've sunk as well because you think it, it's it's about you but in actual fact, you know, like I mean last year I got sacked from the ABC too after they put faith in me to do a national program on a local radio network. Now most people don't even understand what that means. That just means programming. My radio show was going national as opposed to what local radio is, which is purely the area. And people didn't like that. They didn't want that or they didn't like me. And I did it for two years and you feel, I feel a bit embarrassed and a bit ashamed. But I also, like I said, it's happened before and I'm not, I can take steps. I know that from the worst of times comes something that you never expected. And I ended up going into the jungle and doing I'm a Celebrity. Which yeah, that was great. Just the thing I needed at that time, you know. I needed something completely opposite to get yeah. me out of that funk and and make me think about the world again in a different way, which I think I might have stopped doing. You know, I've always been open to new things, but I think I thought I would get this one right and it would be a job that would last. It wasn't. So it was good for me to go, righto, start again, you know. <laughs> What else? What else? What do I do now? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the stuff around security need, isn't it? Like it's sometimes mm. I think what you what you seem to rely on. This might be right or wrong. I'm not sure, but you seem to rely on growth need as as your way out. Yes, you know, to to get you out of this this fun call. And I guess some, you know, it's very it can be very quite. I mean, quite distressing when you've lost a job. Like you know, clearly I lost my job, and you know, there's you know, my livelihood, and who's going to pay the bills? And there's all mm. that stuff going on too, as well as no one's told me why, you know, I've sort of told me, but they never gave me a heads up, this is going to happen in six months' time, they give you an easy way out or whatever. It just yeah. happens. And it must really shock you in a sense at that time when you get it, when you get that decision or, you know. mm. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. I must admit this last one was pretty was pretty shocking because I, I sort of didn't really have an indication that that was what was happening. But like you said, the, the growth opportunity for me and, and I always see it in hindsight that it was always the right thing and I do love being thrown into new situations as a distraction. I do love being challenged and I think I'd probably got a bit set in my ways and I can't afford to do that in this business. No one can really. And 
yeah, it's, I think control has been a, a big thing too. You can't control it. And mm. going into the jungle where we had no control was probably the best thing to set me up for this year. <laughs> that yeah, there's anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's very predictive of the world we live in, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So to be isolated and have no control over your day-to-day and mm. that's something, you know, I've always worked. I've always had jobs. I've, I'll always get jobs. I have to, part of going through this at the moment feels like I'm just learning that, you know, to relax with the fact that I'll be okay, I'm lucky mm-hmm. and I'm very privileged and and not to get too stressed about that. Is, it, is that because, you know, you generally have a sense of confidence now? How would you describe your level of confidence in yourself? It's a lot better than it was, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got 20 years' experience now and I think I've done a lot of work to try and ensure that I feel a bit better about myself. In that respect, I, I should be proud of what I've done yeah. and achieved. And I don't think, particularly women, we're not encouraged to feel proud of, of what we do. And I, I'm learning that. And it's been hard because I think we're our own worst critics. You know, there's all that other stuff, imposter syndrome, which I've had. But I don't want to live life like that anymore. And I've taken real conscious steps in the last couple of years to make sure that I don't let that take hold, you know. Yeah. So what have you done? What's some things you've done to manage that? Learning to filter out bad negative thoughts, speak to myself mm-hmm. in a kinder way, be kinder to myself, try and, yeah, be, be nicer to myself and not listen to that, that critic. And also just lose a lot of inhibitions and worry about what might happen, you know. I think a lot of the fears have been about what will people think? You know, if I say this or do this, and I think as you get older, you just start to drop that a little bit, and that's quite a relief, to be honest. I mean, I still worry, obviously, but the world's not going to fall apart if something in my life goes wrong, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's taking that, that obsession with myself and just putting it in a broader context, which obviously COVID has done as well. You know, in my little life, no one's thinking about my life as much as I'm thinking about my life and that kind of puts it back in perspective. You're not as important as you kind of, you, well, the, the critic that talks to you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> They're never yeah. as important as that, you know, and it's dropping that has been a bit of a relief, to be honest. Like yeah. going into the jungle, I was like, what's there to lose? They'll just see me. They'll just see who I am and, and that's okay. And telling yourself that you're okay is kind of helpful sometimes. And what was it about the, what was it about the jungle itself that made that Drop that inhibition allowed you to sort of be a bit more open to and put you know put the sort of the inner critic in the box somewhere. Well, I think I had nothing left to lose at that stage. I'd just kind of been sacked from a dream job, so mm-hmm. I really had nothing else to to lose, and I was just ripe for a new experience. I wanted it, and I wanted to push myself out of some of those anxieties. I, I genuinely wanted to change how I felt about myself. You did like a, an immense public display of exposure therapy, really, isn't it? Like put yourself out there. And, What's that? What's exposure? Well, it's, it's exposure therapy is like you, you know, you expose yourself to the stimulus that gives you the fear. Mm. You know what they did with Shane Warren a few years ago, like the, the spider? The oh, yeah. They had the exposure therapy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But, but yeah. in a way, like for you, what was the, what was the fear of it? Like in a sense of just allowing yourself to be open and vulnerable like mm. in a way that, that allowed people to sort of and talk about it too. I guess you openly talked about that too, didn't you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, allowing myself to be 
open to be vulnerable. And look, I, I said before, and, and it's kind of a contradiction that, uh, you know, I haven't been able to fall behind anything like a character or a comedy actor or anything like that. But in a way, when you do radio or TV, you are presenting a version of yourself. That's right. Not a complete version. So this was actually just going, righto, everyone gets to see the whole me and and I can't control what people think. Mm. And I'm prepared to put myself in that situation mm. just to just to feel a bit better about who I am and I know that deep down it's all right and that even if people don't like me, I can't control that and that's been a big step. What's a high point in your life? What's, like if you think about high points, mm. you know, like if you think low points has been turning points or, you know, we learn from, mm. what, what have you learned from a high point? High points, what I've learned from high points is they're fabulous and you feel fabulous and they're exciting and they bring great joy but they're not the things by which you measure your success. That's what I've learned from. Okay. And not to value those high points as if they're the only the only thing because they're great. Like, you know, we got to, when we did Spicks and Specs, the national tour, the live shows, you know, we were, we performed in front of 5,000 people a night in Melbourne oh, for, for four nights, you know, and, and you can imagine that's, you know, you're up here, you're up, I'm up in the sky yeah. so high on life and loving it and, you know, we were so happy and it was such a gorgeous time and and it was, I remember that. Rather than that idea of success, I don't know if I'll ever get a high point like that again in terms mm. of personal and professional happiness and joy, like actual joy because it really was, it was joyful. Touring with Adam and Alan was magnificent. My brother was in the house band with some dear friends as well. So we just had the funniest time and, and creatively it was just so stimulating. We were, you know, getting adoration from crowds and all that stuff. But I know as, as I'm not a theatre performer or a musician or a rock star or any of those things, I probably won't ever get that again. So I can't I can't take that as something I want to achieve again or, or look for that. I just want to take it as a as a moment of joy and and remember it. Yeah. Is there a part of you that feels that high points are more easily accessible for you to to say they're not going to last? Yeah. It's just a flip side. A low point can can ruminate on. Or yeah, low points can linger, but you learn a lot from them. High points are fleeting, and you should enjoy them. Okay. But not expect them to to last. What does that say about me? Is that really negative? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 what do you think it says about you? Sorry, I'm in front of a therapist. Now. I don't know. I don't know. It feels <laughs> to me like I, I just, I don't know. I'm just getting older and I realise I feel like I can, to be more in the moment when they happen and to be yeah. more present and enjoy them for what they are but not not expect to hang your hat on them in any way. Yeah. I'm just wondering if it, it sort of says maybe for you that key word was present because you can stay a lot in the, the high point and think it's going to be forever and you can always yearn for that. Mm. Yeah, I guess what you're trying to say, you know, this, this, this is what you're trying to say in a way is you're starting to just experience them, mm. you know, experience what they, what they offer you yeah. and, they, and they come and go and just enjoy them because often they don't, you know, it's not like a, always high points aren't always around. Like in some no, mm. no, and learning how to live without those high points is probably more of a high point for me because, yeah. you know, just embracing life. Having Christmas lunch with the whole family at my place, that's 
a high point because I never thought, because I never really liked Christmas and the idea of Christmas a bit of a nightmare and doing that, you know, that's an actual high point where no one argued and we had a great time and it's like, there's your high point. <laughs> <laughs> so do you live most of your life in a try to not go too low, not too high? Do you try to live in between or what? No, what definitely. Is that a conscious thing? Absolutely. It has been in the last few years for sure. I prefer to be optimistic than pessimistic. I think it, it, it just helps. Yeah. And also I'm general, genuinely, I like to have fun and I'm a bit of an idiot. So, you know, it's, I can be all serious and whatnot, but I like, I do enjoy, I do enjoy pleasurable moments and I enjoy my friends and my family and, and animals. It's all that stuff's really important. And the fact that I've got those is a pretty high point at this stage. Well, when we get to a point where we can talk a bit about what I, you know, maybe interaction about how I think about it what you're saying and what we talk about because in some ways I've got to do this sort of a bit of a portrait of you in some ways. The way you describe yourself in a way, just when I asked that question around personality is kind of interesting because I think you hit the nail on the head around the way personality does emerge itself as, as being like your true self when your true self gets presented. And that sort of starts very early in life too because you're born with sort of dispositional traits, what they call introversion, extroversion, you know, how open to experience you are, curious you are how conscientious or task-focused you are, you know, how um, agreeable you are, but do you like conflict, not like conflict? And you probably come across people that are, you know, they've always been like that. And also a bit about how your emotionality, like how anxious you get, how lone your thoughts you get. And this sort of mixes really, this part of it's genetic, like it's part of it's like 20 to 30% genetic. And then it mixes with your early childhood experiences. So these are sort of needs that get, get met or unmet and it's not normally in a, in a situation of connection with your parents and, you know, significant peers or people in your life. And then there's a story about how we narrate ourselves, how we talk about ourselves, which is more past, present and future, right? Mm. And I'm also interested in that, that story about you as a, as a 17, 18-year-old and a bit about what you see yourself now and it's an evolving narrative, isn't there, about who you are. So, so in a way there's sort of three layers that always move together in some ways. So the way I think about you know, the way you describe the self in some ways is like thinking about that that lower layer, the bottom layer, or the, the true self, you know, the person who you, how do I act, how do I feel, how do I really feel about stuff mm-hmm. is more centred around, I think, I think you're a very curious person. You just mentioned, you know, the curiosity, open to experience, you were sort of rated really highly in that space, which means that really your willingness to explore and be curious and how it's really helped you in many ways. Mm-hmm. And just being just open to experience, just experience other people, like other ideas that nurtures you in some ways because it connects to something really deep in who you are. Conscientiousness is quite an interesting one too because it's a very task-oriented. To be in the work that you do, you, you need to be ordered. You need to be focused around achievement, right? But you're not overly cautious necessarily, mm. like in a way that you may describe it. Like in a sense, it's, it's sort of like this is part of you that puts you in the sort of an average score around conscientiousness, which is task orientation, because you take risks, right? Like yes. you, you throw caution to the wind and you've done that probably many times in your life. So tell me if you think this is not. No, no, that sounds on the money. Yeah. I'm de- I de- that's the thing, you know, I like, I really love to achieve things, but I'm also, I like to be a bit risky. Yeah, like- yeah, which has really helped you in many ways. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't help you. I don't know. Like in some no, so there's not. no good or bad. There's no good or bad to any of these things. But <laughs> but in terms of extroversion, it's really interesting because I, I thought maybe you'd be really 
extroverted type person, social, because that's the way I see you, right? Mm. But it's more in the sense of I think of being more of a, you like excitement. Yeah. Rather than actually you always, you know, socially oriented to people necessarily. You like events. You like to connection with people about that push you over the edge a bit, you know, like mm. that excitement seeking is probably more what people see, what they think about it as being that, or, you know, your curiosity is obviously interpreted sometimes being more extroverted, but it's more, I think you're much more in the middle somewhere. You know, neither, yeah. you know, you like some isolation, you like some, like some alone time, but there's times when you like to be <laughs> connected with people. <laughs> That's right. Well, that, 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 nowadays we have to be. Agreeableness is probably another one. There's people that, that are, you know, really socially engaged with people in the sense of being helpful. Some people interpret that as being extroverted, but you actually like helping people. I think, you know, you're helping me doing, doing this podcast and you help a whole range of people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trusting and you're very empathetic with people. And I think it's more in the trust and, mod- and you're very modest about who you are. Like it's probably an industry in a way that they, you probably counter a lot of people that aren't. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> true, true. You know, I, think it, I think it beats you down anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But but in a way, like it's, it's sort of like a, I just wonder how difficult it is maybe for you to, sort of pop your head up and say, this is who I am and what's my value proposition and do you find at times that that's been an area for you that you've had to work on to sort of say, this is who I am and this is my value? Yes, yeah, and I feel like I'm getting better at it as I get older. Yeah. There's a lot more, oh, well, what's there to lose these days? I, I feel yeah. a lot confident. And, you know, having I think having done the hard yards, I've done 20 years of broadcasting, you know, I, I should be proud of that. You know, whether or not I've been sacked from jobs or whatever during that, everybody has at this stage and and not to let that, that sort of negative side of it take charge. Well, it's interesting when you talk about the, yeah, the negative side because another one that's that often people react to is this other trait called neuroticism, which is everyone's capacity to engage with anxiety, anger, mm. rest thoughts. Well, I had really bad anxiety when I did this local radio job I had it was almost unmanageable I had to go I ended up doing a year of of therapy and and you know trying different things so I think I've I've had to I've had to deal with that not so bad I felt like I couldn't talk what I do so that was pretty confronting so what helped you the most out of that process hard to say very hard to say I don't I don't actually know I think probably just talking talking and beginning to understand why certain things happen. Mm. And I think I'd probably had anxiety, low-level anxiety for most of my life. And it really, and I think at a certain, you know, especially as a woman, going through per, being perimenopausal, your hormones change too. So I think that's probably had a lot to do with it. It was yeah. a lot of different things that, that led to it. But what it led to for me was starting to understand me. And that was good because you feel like once you, can under, once you understand it, you can maybe control it a bit more or you can... Yeah. It doesn't take over. So is that understanding that you are an anxious person? We can, yeah. yeah. I can yeah. be. I can be if I let it. Because I reckon sometimes that's probably, I think that awareness, that accepting that I can be emotional about this stuff or I can be I can be anxious about this issue or I can, I can generally get that way. And I think that's always that sense of insight about yourself probably, isn't it, that helps, I think, sort of focus with, because anxiety is always about a worry about the past or the future, isn't it? Mm, and it yeah. takes you away from the present, doesn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. So that's sort of a, a dispositional base, like a base of who you are, right? I'm, I was always, I'm always curious though when I work with people about what's this behind it, like what's this behind some of this stuff too. Some of it's about 
like genetics and who we are, but some of it also is about our own experience. And what comes across also from you is that you, you come across as a, a person who works really hard. You know, some high standards about mainly yourself. Like this is my standard. And I really want to meet the standard. You do some work and you and you judge yourself really quite critically. And I think this is not rocket science in a sense. Most people, some people are like this. Some people aren't. But for you, it's a very strong this inner critic probably connects to this sort of sense of you mentioned earlier, this sort of sense of being, I don't want to fail. I don't want people to see me as being a failure. That drives you, doesn't it? It drives you who you are, but also it drives you so far, kind of, because it can only take you so far, kind of. Absolutely. Yeah, and then you learn, well, I've learned that failure is part of it and it's okay to fail and it doesn't change who you are as a person and it doesn't, matter so much so it's this this sort of sense of self-compassion really isn't it like Mm. and he developed that through your own life story and changes and that's now become far more there for you isn't it that sense of you know well how can I be more compassionate to myself and how to put in perspective so that's the narrative part that keeps on changing you know adapting type of myth in a sense for Mm. your life yeah but there's always that part of you that sort of feels like oh actually you know have I done this right? Or, yeah. yeah. Could have done better. What did, What could you have done better? <laughs> I think as I've gotten older, though, it's about learning not to let that be the dominant conversation in my head and letting it go, you yeah. know. So there's two tensions really, you know, the security part of you, that need for a sense of security from your job, which is understandable in a way considering your, your industry isn't very stable. <laughs> so, <laughs> I touched my own grave there, didn't I? <laughs> so you picked the you picked the profession in some ways that doesn't allow you to you know to have a stability, but you know that's in a sense it's a continual trigger, isn't it? Because in a way that's allowed you though know, to cope more effectively with it when it does happen. Although most recently, you know, your lowest point, professionally most recently, has probably been one around that you felt the striker at your value mm. and coming out of that process, yeah. So in a way, if I think about it then, you've got these dispositional traits and needs and the needs are around a need to feel, even as a high level self-sacrifice because you give a lot of yourself to others in a sense. That's probably very important for you as a way of connecting with others. So do you, do you often find yourself giving a lot more you know, to other people? How do you describe that part of you? Uh, look, not so much these days. Maybe I did in the past. I think I'm learning that you can only give so much especially when it comes to others' emotional needs because, I, I mean, I'd love, I love to, to give in that regard mm-hmm. but I'm also learning there's only so much you can, you can give and, and to learn that I've learnt too that you can't help people unless they genuinely want to help themselves too. That's been a big, a big learning thing for me. Have you managed that? Is it just mainly through just acknowledging that, I'm losing myself in that space or, or yeah, I'm, not being, yeah. I'm not being genuine or, or? Yeah, and, and witnessing people in genuine, in difficult times, you know. And I think someone said to me, you can't care for other people unless you've cared for yourself, you know, unless you're in a position to be able to care for them. That's been a big one. Yeah, sometimes you've got to look after your own house and make sure that's solid before you take on someone else's big yeah. problems, you know, difficulties. Yeah. And I guess that, that can be problematic too in a way sometimes when you also got this high standards too, this sense I've got to, I've got to be with, with this person and I'm not going to leave them as well. Mm, like yeah. sort of together a bit, don't they? Yeah. 
what surprised you, or maybe none of this has surprised you, but what have you, what have you got out of this sort of conversation, you think? I feel like I'm very much at a place in my life where I've really thought a lot about this stuff. Okay. So it's good. It just, I guess it confirms a lot of things. And, and I feel like, you know, hearing this sort of stuff allows you the space to then be able to move forward too. Nice to know where your where your difficulties lie or where the conflicts lie in yourself. You know, it'd be nice to know what to do with that. <laughs> well, what, what do you what do you think you need to do with it? I mean, what, what what's your because you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself. I mean, you've gone for therapies, so these are in a sense these are things that you, not so much insightful, but things that you've sort of come across as well in the past. So. Do you just explore that for just a couple of minutes, just a bit about what? Yeah, it's been quite freeing and liberating to know that I can't please everybody. And it sounds dumb. It sounds so dumb and simple, but that is, that is incredible, especially if you live a public life and mine's not that public, but to a certain degree it is that part. You know, I wish I had a bit more not give any, not give a stuff kind of, I wish I had a bit more about that, about myself. I still wish and I hope to get to that point, but I think age and experience also brings that too. But, yeah, yeah, that's that's been a big thing for me is not worrying about what people think, and that is quite liberating. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe part of that can be just accepting in a sense that actually that always probably would be there. Mm. What do you think about that concept? It's the concept that actually there's always going to be that element that people are going to be, that I'm always going to be concerned about that. Maybe it's not as important as it was, but maybe there's always been a part of me. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe embracing it. I don't know how. <laughs> how do I do that, Franco? But sometimes it can be helpful, helpful in the sense is, you know, what are your values? It goes back to values. Like you can always, if it's about that, sometimes connecting it to a value that why is that important to me? You know, is it about maybe it's about the, the type of people that you want them to accept you in a particular way? I'm not sure. But is it connected to a, maybe being clear about values? Sometimes that can drive us a bit. Yeah, I think so. What is it about how people perceive you in that way that for you is most problematic? What are the parts of you? I think that what bothers me is that people perceive me as one type of thing and I feel like everybody's a bit more complex than perhaps people would see you. Yeah, maybe it's how I was brought up too. It could be that. What is it about that then? I grew up in that generation where it was a lot very much about keeping up appearances and all of that stuff, you yeah. know. So, yeah. but I think as I've gotten older, realising that everybody's very complex and yeah. they have their ups and downs and it's it's harder, it's harder to be judged by people, I think, when you know how complex you are, if you know what I mean, or other people are. So what are, what are people not seeing then? I don't know. I feel like they're probably seeing it all, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's just me just going, oh, you know, I think it just goes back to that that small child, you know, oh, they don't like me. <laughs> Not worrying about that maybe or I don't know. I don't know. I think you hit the nail on the head around and it is sometimes about that inner child, you know, that mm. comes out and that need to be accepted, the need to feel like you're not being judged and sometimes that does connect to environments that we brought up in that you know like you said public appearance or the appearance of how people mm. perceive you is really quite important not to this this is what your parents did at all. no i think but culturally like, we lived in that world yeah and also like in a sense of growing up in a, in a school and environment where a lot of stuff was conditional in the sense of oh, people accepted you in a particular way or and so maybe it's tapping into a little bit of 
into that need and saying, okay, well, how can I get that need met in a different way? Mm. That my need for acceptance is is a need for attachment, isn't it? Yeah. So do you feel connected to people? Do you feel enough connection with yourself? I don't know. That could be one way of thinking about it. Yeah. That's a good way. But what about this need for just assertiveness about who you are? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to develop that more, a lot more, because I think that, you know, I I mean, I don't want to become a sociopath or anything. but (laughs) (laughs) It's not like like on your profile. but. where they don't think about anyone else's needs. But it'd be nice to have a little bit more of a, you know, an FU kind of attitude. Or it just, it doesn't matter, you know. I think that's the thing. You realise what a lot of things that you thought mattered don't matter. Okay, so let's, let's think about this. What's a future chapter look like? If you think a bit about the next one. <laughs> I genuinely one. don't know. I genuinely don't know. Okay, but no, I think about your chapter about your value proposition, who you are, Okay, well, that that's easy then. I want a happy home, a safe, happy home where I feel secure, surrounded by my beautiful animals and my partner and and to have my family and friends be able to still be in my life and, like, that's important. So what's one thing that's holding you back to achieve that you're that's not achievable? One thing holding me back from not achieving that or I hope I, I feel like I am achieving that. That's good. But one thing that holds me back is my yearning to throw it all up in the air and go and do something really exciting and <laughs> take a risk. So is that, a, is that something you do? Is that something you do? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. absolutely. I'm quite happy in that space. So, Or at least I, I feel alive when that's it. So I'm, yeah. a, bit, I'm a bit terrified of monotony yeah. and security. When, when, so when things get secure, do you have this yearning to just to just try to do something completely different or throw yes. it up in the air, yeah. Or when things do become very insecure, I, I tend to throw it up in the air too. Right. So throwing up in the air is, a, is your go-to. Yeah. Managing that will be is, is an interesting proposition. So what, do you, what, what draws you that way? What draws you down that path? I don't know. don't know. Genuinely don't know. Well, part of it's a bit about who you are. That's a sort of a, sp- a space where maybe you've driven, you've always sort of done it that way. But do you think it's a it's a need to is a need for assertive to assert yourself to find yourself in a sense? Mm. I'm just wondering if it, it is some basis there about a discovered self, like an undeveloped self. You know, I, I need to find. You know, I'm in constant yearning for who I am. Right? I don't know. Mm, that could be. It. Is that too deep, or is that just too? No, I like it. It could be it. Who am I, Franco? <laughs> who am I? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It probably is. But it's, that's also something I feel like you don't stop asking purely because I don't know if I want to know myself completely and everybody else completely. Is that a bad thing to say? Like I feel like we always change and we always. Well, there's a part of it that does change but just remains the same, but isn't it? Mm. Because, because if you're always trying to search for this and curiousness about who you are, mm. that's always there, isn't it? Mm. That's true. That's sort of who you are. In one level, isn't it? Mm. So the question is, how does that adapt to where you want to be? Like in terms of other things that are important, what's a trade-off there about that? Mm. It's been great talking to you. Oh, it's been unreal, Franco. Thank you. You made one point about knowing, understanding that's always going to be a part of me and then making peace with that. Well, you know, I often find sometimes therapy can't, not this is a therapy session, but 
but it's sometimes what I find really useful with people is you, you sort of present to people the person who they are. Mm. Like this is who you are. That's why I love being psychologists, but but in okay. a way, sort of let me introduce it to you who you thought you were, but this is who you are. <laughs> 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 so do you think I present differently to who I think I am or do you think it's all there? I guess I'm not surprised in a way because I, I sort of spent a little bit of time with you, not a lot, but, you know, and I've seen you over the years. So in a way I actually think that the public persona of who you are is sort of what we get of what you are, like in some ways. I think the things that you sort of mentioned, though, about value, about value, who I am as a, from a value proposition, like who am I, how do I serve myself in that context is probably an area there that's really interesting. I just think that maybe you're exploring now parts of yourself that and accepting parts of yourself that are really quite important for you now in terms of your narrative and maybe accepting parts of yourself is maybe the first half of awareness. These are things that help me. These are things that, is it like if I asked you, your curiosity, for example, mm-hmm. it's a strength, right? Yeah. That sometimes can be sometimes an overused strength. Yeah, because I, I'll tend to, yeah, rely on that to feel alive. Yeah. And so, so is, that, is that then moving towards people or away from people? Both. Mm. Okay. So, so in a way, like that, that'll be an interesting part of exploring, isn't it, in some ways? Because when I want to move away from people, and I'm doing that. Why am I moving away from people? Is probably the question to ask yourself. Is exactly. I'm moving away because I don't want to be attached to them, or I want to be assertive, or when I move towards people, is because I want to get connected to them. Mm. I feel a need for that. You know, it goes to show a little bit about what your drivers are. You know, yeah. and your yeah. needs. Mm. Well, we can work on that down the track. All right. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you. I feel like I've had a, a, an interesting session. So. <laughs> okay, no worries. Yeah. All right, thanks, me for the best. Good on you, Franco. See, See ya. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please let me know what you think of this podcast episode or the podcast series in general. I respond to all reviews and really love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future guests to interview. You can also rate the episode on your favorite podcast platform. I would really appreciate this so that other people can hear about how you experience the show. If you want some insight into your personality portrait, visit my website to take a quick personality quiz to start the ball rolling. You can also sign up to a regular newsletter, which you can find on the podcast webpage. Look forward to presenting new and interesting guests soon. Bye for now.